Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 31. And we've been in this study uh, for several weeks now, uh, going through it on Sunday mornings, a study named Life, entitled Life. And uh, we've been looking at the lineage of Joseph. And that's kind of what we're we're doing, is looking at his lineage. Then we're going to look at his life. Joseph's already been born. His father is Jacob. And that's kind of who we've been examining so far in this study uh, for several messages now. Uh, Jacob, who is eventually going to be, that we'll see, his name is going to be changed to Israel, which would be the nation of Israel, and uh, what we know today has become the nation of Israel. Um, and so again, studying uh, this, this lineage has given us so many different things, so many different uh, lessons and important things to remember about life. And we've talked about anything, everywhere from uh, love and loss to uh, inspiration and family and uh, friends. We just looked at so many different things, and again, this morning is not going to be an exception. But last week, we saw a very interesting encounter in this study. Uh, we saw Jacob and his father-in-law Laban have a little bit of a uh, 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 heated uh, discussion, if you will. Uh, primarily heated from Jacob's point of view, uh, because Laban had been chasing his son-in-law with his daughters and all his grandchildren because he, he thought, he was told, he was informed that they had stolen his idols to false gods or false little gods. And uh, so he was searching through all of Jacob's tents, everyone's tents. He started searching everything there. And of course, his search came up empty-handed because his daughter, Rachel, had hidden those idols underneath her satchel on her camel. And uh, it was that time of month for her, and so she excused herself from getting up and and, uh, getting down because of that. And of course, we know uh, what happened from there. Uh, Jacob, I want want to remind you if you're here, didn't know that Rachel had done this. He didn't know that she had stolen the idols. He didn't know that she had hidden them them under her saddle, her her camel's saddle. And so when uh, when Laban's search for these idols came up fruitless... Uh, Jacob took advantage of the situation. He took, he took the opportunity, and he let Laban have it. He berated him, and the word in the Bible says chode. He chewed him, <laughs> he chewed him up and down because of how he had treated him for the last 20 years, and then now all culminating into this, this uh, encounter with him. We talked about maybe how Jacob felt better about himself after he let his father-in-law have it. Uh, he got this off his chest. He finally just laid into him and, and gave him a piece of his mind. But again, I, I want to remind you what we learned last week is he did all of this with missing information. He thought he had it right. He thought he knew everything he needed to give his father-in-law what he had coming to him. And again, he was missing that vital piece of information that Rachel had actually stolen those idols. And again, this was another example of the foolishness that we've seen over and over in Jacob's life. Um, again, when we look at what he was doing, he was just pouring out these words. And, and, and if we look at this relationship, these words were carrying a heavy punch. I mean, he was, he was laying into a, his father-in-law who had, uh, again, provided, whether through trickery or whatever, uh, two wives and uh, multiple children through all of them. And so last week we saw with all of the words that he was pouring out from this bitter, resentful, unforgiving position, we saw that our words have weight. And that's point number one. It should be filled in. 
in your uh, notes already. And uh, we're going to look at this week as point number two because he makes a statement as he's talking to Laban that I think is very important for us to, to grab hold of in our life today as Christ followers. And so let's pray and we'll look at this second point in this, this sermon. Father, thank you so much again for this time. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you. I, I love that song we sang this morning because uh, even though we, we, we say that phrase over and over, we can never say it enough. You are so good to us. Lord, there's so many ways that you're good to us. There's so much grace and mercy that you pour out in our life. And as we're studying uh, this person that you chose, Jacob, and even uh, looking at uh, the, the, the son, Joseph, to come that we'll look at, we realize that it's, it's their story as well. Grace and mercy poured out in their lives. Uh, goodness poured out uh, undeserved. And so, God, we, we can... We can be acquainted with this, Lord. It's familiar to us because, again, that's the story in our lives. So many times we deserve judgment. So many times we deserve uh, these, these bad consequences. And you show up with grace and mercy. And um, you give us opportunity still to serve you. Um, and, and we're thankful for it, Lord. We're thankful that we can do things for your kingdom that bring you glory and honor. And as we study this this morning, I pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts. God, that you just use me as a vessel to be uh, to glorify yourself through. Lord, I, we do pray, as Brother Jeffrey prayed earlier, that if there's someone that's lost, uh, they've never surrendered their life, they've never surrendered control and trusting you with their life for their eternity because they, didn't, they haven't realized or they haven't trusted wholly in the fact that you sent your only son to die on the cross for their sins. You rose again the third day, and, and again, you offer life to all who believe. If there's somebody here like that, Lord, I pray that they would give their life to you before they leave today that they'd be born again, they'd experience that free gift of salvation, of eternal life. And we'll praise you for all of this, God. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, for good and for bad, we need to remember that our, weight, our, our words have weight. Again, hopefully you took that last week and, and were encouraged or strengthened or challenged. Uh, I, I know that, that I was challenged even uh, in, in praying after that message, uh, praying up to that message, praying after that message. Um, I, I just want to always be mindful that the things that we say to each other, the things that we say sometimes maybe off the cuff or, or, or when we're frustrated, they carry weight. And sometimes we don't know when, when those words are going to go out and they're going to hit somebody and last, impact them for their lifetime. Whether it's our kids or whether it's our spouse or whether it's our, a brother or sister in Christ or whether it's a coworker, those words go out and they hit. And again, they may, that, that damage may last a lifetime. And so we've got to be mindful that our words really do have weight. weight. They, they, can, they can give life or they can bring death. And, and so uh, it's so important for us to remember this uh, in our life. But the second thing we see this morning, a great positive, again, it can be a reminder that there is a negative uh, aspect to this as well, is that our works have weight. Our works have weight. I want you to look back in uh, Genesis 31, and if you look in verse 42, as Jacob was, again, berating Laban, his father-in-law, he, he mentioned something at the end of his, his little, his fit or his, his, his discourse there. In verse 42, it says, Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had been with me, surely thou hast sent me away now empty. And look what he says right here. God has seen mine affliction in the labor of, mine, of my hands, and rebuke thee yesternight. And if you've been here, you know uh, what, that, what he's talking about. Laban is in hot pursuit of him. God stops Laban and says, look, don't say anything bad or anything good to Jacob. 
It's not your place. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's mine. Um, and again, we learned a lesson in that, that why didn't God just stop him altogether? Why didn't God just stop Laban dead in his tracks and, and kill him there? Or, or send him back home or send a storm that pushed him back to his house? Why did God allow Laban, why did he just warn Laban and allow Laban to catch up to Jacob? Again, I shared, uh, I believe one of the reasons why is to give Jacob that opportunity to choose to, to go God's way, to, to, to do things, another chance to trust God. And, um, and so when Laban shows up, there's a little bit of Jacob acknowledging the fact that God has been with him and that God is present, that God is, 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 has a purpose and a plan for his life. And then he acknowledges this, this fact right here, that God had seen Jacob's labor. Now, I heard something uh, just in the last couple days that was concerning that, um, that uh, was said, it said that, um, that what we do when we get to the, when we stand face to face with our Lord, what we do on this earth isn't going to matter. And uh, I, I, I have a, I disagree with that uh, because I believe everything that we see, in, even in the Apostle Paul's life and in the New Testament, tells us that what we do for the Lord does matter. Or what we don't do for the Lord matters. That there are things that, that will bring glory to his name. There are, there's works that are good works. There are works that are bad works. There are things that we can do as a child of God that further the purpose in the kingdom of God. And if not, if there's no purpose in us laboring for the Lord, if there's no purpose in us trusting God and, and obeying God and doing the things that God has told us to do, then Jesus' last statement to his followers wouldn't have been, go and do this. He would have said, hey, you guys got it made. Hang out. I'll be back to get you. But he didn't. He said, hey, I'm going somewhere, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I'm going to take you to where I am, that where I am you, you, you can be also. Until that time, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. I want you to go. I want you to tell. I want you to teach. I want you to do the work until I come back. Why would he, if it didn't matter what we did on this earth, or if it, if it didn't matter what we didn't do, then why would our Lord, the King of Kings that we just sang to and sang about, why would he give us instructions to actually do something for him? Because the truth is this, that our works do have weight. I think in this life that we can get our labor or the working that we have right, and I think that we can get it terribly wrong. And we live in a culture that's saturated by worldly success and working hard to, to, to earn a buck and, and, and to, to getting ahead. And, to, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to downplay hard work, ambition, uh, responsibility, diligence, um, even stewardship and saving back and being responsible and all those kind of things. I'm not downing any of that. But I think there's a misperception and a misconception about the kind of work that we're supposed to be 100% devoted to. I think when we look at our lives, even in America today, we, we look at who we are as, as far as, uh, well, I'm, a, I'm a, an electrician, I'm not trying to pick on anybody if I name your profession, or I'm a, I'm a teacher, or I'm a, a dentist, or I'm a, a lawyer, or I'm a, a this, or I'm a that. We look at that in our life and we say, this is who I am. And, 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 and to that, I would say, you are absolutely not that. You are a child of Almighty God if you're a Christian. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you've been born again, you're a child of the king. There's no greater label. There's no greater title. There's no greater privilege to be called something on this earth. Manager? What is a manager compared to a child of God? 
you know? Well, what's a doctor? Well, doctors are good things. A lot of school, it's nothing compared to a child of God because there's no amount of education, there's no amount of money, there's no amount of hard work, there's no amount of anything that could ever afford us the title of child of God. It was bought with something we could never do for ourselves. It was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so for us to be able to say, I'm a child of God, that's the greatest thing that we could ever be. And so it's the greatest endeavor we should ever pursue is fulfilling that call of being a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. Man, I want to do good at my job and I want to be a good example. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 that we're supposed to do everything as unto the Lord. Absolutely right. But it's never to be our identity. It's never to be the pursuit of our life. It's never to be the most important thing of our, in our life. Being a child of God and doing His work, laboring for His cause, that should be the highest, highest uh, weight that we put on anything. Laboring for the Lord. But we can get it really wrong in this life. Right? Because what often brings us so much stress and anxiety and worry in our life? Our jobs. And the money that's attached to those jobs. Or the lack of money. We get so frustrated because of our jobs, because of our coworkers. We get so worried. Am I going to have this? They're talking about layoffs, the, uh, well, well, my, the, the hours or the, or the time or, or what the boss is expecting or what they're not communicating and, and the talk and this and, and this. We, we, we have so much worry and, and, and fret. And, 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 and the reality is, I, I don't think in, in an unhealthy way or as far as stress or worry or anxiety, but I think the most important thing we should be concerned about is whether we're pleasing the God of all creation in His work. Right? Because at the end of the day, if you lose your job today, what if you die tomorrow? What did it matter that you lost your job? Right? Nothing. It didn't matter. I lost my job today. I died, I died tomorrow. That's the way life goes, right? I mean, not forever. I mean, you don't like lose your job and die. Oh, no. Well, Kyle said, if I lose my job, I'm going to die tomorrow. No, don't take that. See, our words have weight. Um, but we have to remember that this life is just temporal. But God has given us an eternal work, an eternal labor, that one day when we stand before him at his eternal throne, as the Bible says we're going to see in just a second, as, as we will all appear as Christians before the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to look at what we've done for him. He's not going to look, man, you, you taught some really good classes. I mean, you had math down. You know, God's not going to say that. He may say, I gave you an opportunity in that school and you, show, you, you shine the light every opportunity you could. You saw kids that were hurting. You saw kids in need. And you loved on them, and you, showed the, you shared the gospel when you had opportunity. When they asked you, you had the, you had the great opportunities, and you took them. And for that, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So, oh, man, man, I, I know how to build this, and I know how to build that. God's not going to say, man, you knocked it out of the park as far as building houses go. I don't know. A lot of good people down on earth building stuff, but you're one of the best ones. God's not going to say that. He said, man, when you were building those houses and you had, you had co-workers and you had people working for you, you were so concerned about being a witness for me and, and, and you invited them to church every opportunity you could and you, and, and you, and you tried to live 
for me and, and shine that light in you. Share the gospel every time. And for that, God will say, well done. And on the other side of that judgment, there will be rewards. Again, we'll see in just a second. So, again, we, we, can, we can get the, the, the labor in this life right and we can get the labor wrong. I want to look at the, the, the wrong kind of laboring, what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4. It says this, labor not to be rich. Again, goes against everything that we learn in American culture, right? Look, get, a good, get your education, get a good job so that you don't have to worry about money. Labor to be rich. That's the, that's the idea. That's what we tell every generation following us. This is what you have to get. And again, I, please, with all this, know that I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having an education. There's nothing wrong with having a good job. And there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong in, those, in, in any of those things. But to labor, to spend your life toiling and stressing and working and focused only on getting riches is wrong. He says, labor not to be rich. And, and here, here's what he goes on to say, cease from thine own wisdom. And then he asks this question, are you going to set your eyes upon that which is not, upon something that will go away? He goes, because riches certainly make themselves wings and they fly away as an eagle towards heaven. He says, so don't pursue something that's going to go away anyways. Don't pursue something temporal that one day it'll truly be gone from you. You won't take with you. But think about that in, in every aspect of our life, right? What are we trying to tell the next generation? What are we trying to tell uh, the, our, our grandkids? That there are more, and we'll get to this in a second, but there are more important things in this world that we can give ourselves to than the kingdom of God. How much damage is that causing? Like there are things that are going to come up in your life that you'll have to choose between God and that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, I mean, just because I'm, I'm not here, because I'm not doing this, it doesn't mean I'm choosing God. What is it saying then? Do we, again, I'll put this to question, do we do this to our, to our jobs? Do we do this in our jobs? Well, I know my boss told me that I'm supposed to do this or I might lose my job, but I mean, am I really going to lose my job? We don't do that to our job. We don't do that. Some people push the limit and they lose their job. But most people say, oh, I can't do this because my boss said if I do this, I'm going to lose my job. And so we put more fear in man and, 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 and more fear in the loss of riches of this world than we do in what God has commanded us for his eternal purposes, which are eternal. Like go beyond this world, go beyond this life. He says riches, they're going to make themselves wings and go away. So don't devote your life and your, and, 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 and your efforts to having these things. Now, if, if in the course of your life, as you're, you're laboring to, to, to serve God and you're devoted to God above all else and, and, and your education has given you this and you have this opportunity in this job and, and, and you're successful, you see money come along, then glorify God in that too, but don't labor to, for that. Don't live your life for that. So there's a right way to live our life. I said, well, I'll go, said, well, I'll go to, to labor for the Lord. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, we see that we're not supposed to be slothful in business, but fervent in spirit. But here, here's what we're to have fervency in our spirit for. Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Don't be, don't be a lazy worker. Have fervency in your spirit, but have it focused in the right direction. Have it focused in serving God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. It says we are laborers together with God. Again, I've worked with different people in, in, in my life, and, and I remember I've shared stories before of, of when I used to work with um, the, the, the city and when I used to work with the school district. And, 
And, you know, the, some city workers get a bad rap and some school district workers get a bad rap, but uh, most of them don't <laughs> because they say, well, the, it, it, why does it take five guys to, to dig one hole? Well, you got to have, have four guys supporting the one guy that is actually doing the, there's got to be some moral support there. There's got to be some guys watching, you know. <laughs> but um, I, I, I thought it was a joke until I showed up and that's the way it was and I was like, oh. <laughs> this is really what we do. And they actually tell you, hey, drive around, don't get caught, okay? Don't be seen by the boss, because then I'll get in trouble. So go hide somewhere, you know? <laughs> okay, guess we get paid for this. But um, that was our tax money at work anyways. But some of you paying taxes back then, thank you. Um, <laughs> now, but it says we're laborers together with God. I say that to say, Think about this. There's no greater co-worker. I work with some characters, some people that were interesting people. Uh, and some of them made, made the work harder. Some of them made the work easier just by who, who I was with. There's no greater person you could ever be working with and for than God. We're co-laborers together with God. You're God's husband. You're God's building. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore. Again, we're co-laborers. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Again, this is, this is the, the reality that we have in this life. We have this privilege, amazing privilege, as children of God, to serve with God and to serve for Him. There's no greater privilege for anything that we can do in this life. Man, we, we work and we toil and we do certain things in our life and it brings us gratification. You know, we, uh, you know, uh, I know like for us, Rochelle, a, a few years ago asked me to, to build a table, and I'd never built furniture before. And so uh, me and, and Brother Clay, we, our, well, our wives had this, this, this fun idea that, that we could build a table. And uh, so Clay was going to build them a table, and uh, I was going to build me a table. And so we go, and we, we start cutting and, and ripping and, and doing all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm thinking... Well, I mean, we're following the directions. I'm, I'm interested to see how it's going to be because, you know, wood, it'll want to do all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but at the end of the day, our tables turned out to be actual tables. You can sit at them and you can eat at them. I mean, Clay's is way better than ours, but um, it, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a gratification. Man, we did something and it worked. It, it actually served the purpose. There's gratification. There's no better gratification in this life than to serve the Lord. And, and to labor for him, to know that this is right, this is what the king of kings has asked me to do, and I get to do it. And I may not get to see the payoff in the end, I may not get to see all of the, the, the finished product, but man, what an amazing privilege it is to serve the king of kings. Let us labor. Again, from the very beginning of man's existence, God has given mankind work to do. It's only because of the fall and since sin that labor in this world has become intensive, that we have to toil for that. But before the fall, before sin, man, Adam, had an opportunity to serve God with a kind of joy and, and, and excitement and zeal in this perfect fellowship with God. Guess what, that, guess what happens to us after the fall? It's those of us who enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that get to get back to that place that Adam was, of serving the maker, serving the creator, with, with joy and, and with fellowship. And, and so when we, when we labor for God, when we do things 
to serve each other. Or we tell a lost person about Jesus Christ coming to die for their sins and be raised again so that they could have eternal life. Or when we serve somebody in need or, or we serve uh, the church in a certain way, man, it's an amazing privilege. And it's the highest privilege and it's the highest duty, the highest responsibility that we have on this earth. Not when you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and go and check in at your job or punch in a clock and, and, and do some task on this earth. Now, there may be some, some, some eternal labor that God gives you in, at that job. But doing that job is not the impo most important thing that you have to do on this earth. It's not the greatest privilege, not the most important labor that you get to do. But I'll say this, it's also only since the fall that we've lost the purpose and the privilege in laboring for the Creator, right? Because so many times we look at I mean, you guys, some of you are laboring right now. But for the most part, you're not laboring. You're, you're, you're engaging. You're, you're, you're opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit, God's Word, and, and, and being hopefully unified in, in the Word of God that's being preached right now, this message that God has, has for all of us. So it's not a labor to be here gathered around this. This word of God. But this too is a privilege. What an amazing privilege we have. I want you to think about it. If you knew that your labor for something would ensure that your kids, your spouse, your grandkids, your close friends would be taken care of forever. How hard would you labor to see that happen? Let me ask that question again. If you knew that the labor that you were laboring at, at or in would ensure that your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your friends would all be taken care of forever, not the rest of their lives, but forever, how hard would you labor for that? So not just when they're old and, 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 and about to end their life, no, forever. How hard would you labor for that? I would hope to think that if it meant that if it meant if it meant something that they could have for all of eternity, that we would give our entire lives for that cause. But that's that's the concern in our culture today is that we tend to give our entire effort, our entire lives, to ensure something for our family that has wings that'll fly away. So what is that e eternal thing? Well, I think eternal life, but also an eternal legacy. Eternal inheritance, eternal rewards. Man, this, 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 this passing on of the importance of the eternal to the next generations, the work for the eternal kingdom is definitely work indeed. It just doesn't happen. We just don't say, well, I'm a Christian, and, and so I'm working for God. No, no. That, that, that's a name. Anybody can say that they're a Christian. Anybody can, can do that. But as a child of God, we know that we are supposed to know the word of God, therefore we're supposed to act on the word of God. Those are works of obedience. That's the laboring that God wants us to be involved with. But it's a worthy labor, and it's a joyful labor. My, my life verse, I, I love this because it's a challenge, and it's what I want my life to be. It's what I, I've always prayed for my life to be. This is, I love this verse. It's my life verse, 1 Corinthians 5, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
No matter how hard it gets, no matter how, uh, how many questions we have, no matter how I feel or how I don't feel, no matter what, the, the right thing to do is to be steadfast and unmovable and always increasing, abounding, in God's work. Because that work, that labor, isn't in vain. Working for God. Jacob acknowledged that God had seen his labor. We know that he wasn't a lazy man. For 14 years he served for his, his wives and then six years for the cattle. But that, his work was worthy of reward was something that he knew that God saw. One day our labors for the king, is gonna, they're going to be rewarded. In 2 Corinthians, as I said earlier, we'll, we'll see this in, in chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, talking to Christians, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, rewards done for the things done in his body, according that he hath, look at that word right there, according to that he hath done. Not imagined, not thought, not intended to do, but we will be ruled according to the things that we've done, whether they be good or bad. Again, there's this beautiful picture that we see in heaven. Fast forward in Revelation chapter 14, and look what it says. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right unto me, right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from this time forward or henceforth. Uh, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. They may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. But what works? Their works of being managers and store clerks? And, no. Their labors for the king, for the kingdom. They follow them. They have weight. They're important. It's important for us to be engaged in the eternal work of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. This is Jesus teaching. He's telling his followers, which resonates to us today as his followers, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Don't, don't, don't be focused on storing back riches for this, this earth. Why? Because he gives a perspective. Because those things are, will go away. Moth and rust corrupts those things and where thieves break through and steal. But lay it for yourself. Hey, I don't want you to, uh, this, is side note. this is just kind of a, a, an idea of what this looks like in modern uh, technology. Because maybe some of you are storing up gold and, and silver in, in a safe somewhere. That's pretty cool, by the way. But um, the way I think some of this looks like today, and, and, and it can be reversed like that, but it's so interesting, right? I don't know about, about you, but we've had this happen to us a handful of times. Our credit card was stolen, right? Like somebody just starts buying things in New Jersey, you know? And your credit card company tells you, hey, your credit card's been stolen. The last time that it happened to us, um, it was a physical card. They told us that the bank knew that it was a phys physical card that somebody had stolen the number and made a physical card with a magnetic strip on it. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It's a crazy world that we live in. But that's the way that money is. I mean, at some point in time, somebody can break into our house and say, not my house, because they'll be, you know. <laughs> you know. No. <laughs> Look, the, the reality is, that's what happens in this world, is, is riches. They're stolen. They go away. They, 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 at, the, at the moment of our, our greatest need, they say, riches help me at the moment. No, they don't. No, they don't. Jesus said, don't, don't store up for yourself. Don't, don't be in pursuit of those things where you're just only focused on storing things in this life. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then he says this, because where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. That's what, is gonna that's what reveals what matters to you. What are you storing up? What are you laboring for? What's the most important thing to you? 
When it comes down to it, if you're given, if you're given the choice of A and B, this is, this is your job and money and, and, and financial security. This is, this is the great commission and obedience and faithfulness to God and the things of God. When it came down to it, what would we choose? I think piously every single person who claims to be a Christian in this room would say, I would choose this. But when it came down to it, I got a family and I got kids. Well, who is our trust? Where is our trust? And what are we laboring for? So that's an extreme thing. Why would I have to choose between the two? I'm not saying that we have to, but if it came down to it, what would you choose? He goes on to say this. He points to this, the, the whole purpose of it all. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The first thing in your life, the priority in your life should be the kingdom of God. What, is it, what does that mean? Getting others into his kingdom, pleasing him, obeying him, sharing the gospel, teaching others to follow Jesus Christ. It's the, king, the king's kingdom. Seek that first in his righteousness to be like him, to live in a right fellowship with him and with others. Seek that above everything else. Don't seek to be successful and have money and all this kind of stuff, but seek first above all things the king and his kingdom and his righteousness. Make that the priority of your life. And look what he says. Then don't take any thought for, oh, I'm sorry, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you go back through, go back a little bit, what he was talking about is the things the Gentiles worry about. What they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what, they're gonna, what clothes they're going to wear and, and all these things. And he says, don't do that. Don't you know that God who takes care of the sparrows knows what you need and how much more value are you to God than sparrows. And that's when he says, so seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God's kingdom first and everything that you need, God will make sure you have. And then he says, take no thought for, your mar- for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take, take care of itself. There's enough evil from day to day to take care of itself. Here's what I believe based off of what scripture tells us and based off of experience as well, if we could get and if we could establish a biblical, eternal worldview, then we would see this unrivaled value of laboring for the Lord. If we could get it, if we could get it and keep it, that, that it's all about the word of God, it's all about the kingdom of God. If we could get that and, 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 and keep that, that eternal biblical worldview, man, there would be an unrivaled value. Man, there's nothing that's going to keep me from, from the things of God. There's nothing that's going to keep me from gathering with the people of God. There's nothing that's going to keep me from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that's going to keep me from from serving the king and laboring because there's no greater value and there's no greater privilege than to seek first the kingdom of God. If we could get and establish a biblical and eternal worldview as adults, then here, listen to this. And we could teach the unrivaled value of laboring for the Lord to the next generation. Then our kids and our grandkids would see that there's something more important in this life than money. Then our kids and our grandkids would see there's something more important in this life than having a title. That our kids and our grandkids would see that there's something more important in this life to being liked and being popular. Our kids and our grandkids, the next generation would see there's something that God has afforded us in this life that's eternal and has eternal value and that they can not only experience it in this life, but it carries them on to eternity. If we could get it, then we could teach it to our kids. But that's where I think that we're missing as adults today. We may have it here. I know what that looks like. We're not living with the conviction of it here. I know what biblical worldview and eternal worldviews looks like. I, I, know, I know what you're talking about. 
But we're not living with it here. We're not living with it with conviction. Can you imagine what that looks like? You teach, I teach our kids and our grandkids by what we do. Not solely by what we say, but also what we do. That's what leadership is. Leadership is doing. Leadership doesn't say, hey, this is what you should do. Leadership says, hey, this is what I'm doing, so come on. Where the conflict and disenchantment happens, especially as this spiritual battle in our lives rage on, where this conflict and this disconnection happens, is when the adults in this world that claim to be Christians tell and teach kids one thing and then live another thing. That's where it happens. They often hear things like this in Sunday school class, from Sunday school teachers, from moms, from dads, from grandparents. They hear things like, God is worthy to be worshipped. God is alone. He's God alone. And he's not to have any other gods before him. They learn it, and so this is the Ten Commandments. You should have no other gods before you. We teach our kids that, and we sing the songs, and we tell them, look, there's one God, and we want them to learn and know this one God, Jesus Christ. We tell them all these things that, that God is to be the most important in your life, son, daughter, grandchild. This God is the most important. He's to be number one. He's to be the center of everything. We, we teach them. We tell them serving God, trusting God, living for God is the right thing to do, son. It's the right thing to do, daughter. That's what they hear. Yet too often what they see is God is worthy in the good times to be worshipped. Or he's worthy to be worshipped when we really need him to bail us out of something. They, 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 they hear something in our voice, yet they, they hear God is God, but there are things in life that, that we can justify that are just a bit and, and, and maybe a, a lot more important than him. And we don't say that, we show that. God is hypothetically the most important person in our lives. We don't say that, but we show that. God is, 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 is figuratively the most important person in our life, but, but really it's you or me. Or it, it, it's you, son. It's you, daughter. You're really the most important thing. The things that you do, the things that you want, that's more important than the things that God wants. Grandchild, what, what you want and you are more important than actually God is. Serving God, trusting God, living for God, is subject to other God's demands, little g. We say a lot of good things and right things, and we teach it in Sunday school, and we teach it at our house, and we read the Bible stories, and we do all those things, yet what our kids and our grandkids see lived out is, that's actually not true. You say a good thing, you talk a good talk. But it doesn't quite match up with what you're living, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. We show our kids what's important by what we do and how faithful we are to it. That's the truth. I can tell my kids what's important all day long. Hey, you need to brush your teeth every day. But if I don't brush my teeth every day, eventually they're going to say, it's not important. And they're going to challenge the truth of that statement. It's important to brush my teeth every day, Dad. Why don't you brush your teeth? Well, just do what I say. Don't worry about what I'm doing. 
And then that's where that disconnect comes from. That's where that hypocrisy comes from. That's where, that's where that disenchantment comes from. And that's where the, the, it starts to challenge, is this true? Is this real? Is this really worth living for? What you're telling me? That's really what it's about? See, we show them, our kids and our grandkids, that they are important by the time that we spend by the food, by the love, by the shelter, the things that we do, the things day in and day out that they experience because of what we're doing, because of our love for them. They may not say it, they may not show it, but they experience it and it affects them. They know that they're important to us because of the things that they experience and they see. When you choose something worldly over something godly, let me rephrase that. When we choose something of this world, over something of God, it affects them. Please listen to this. Maybe silently affects them. But that information is stored just like the information of how to tie their shoe is stored. You showed them. You told them. You showed them. This is how to do it. Now do it again. And today, our kids and our grandkids know how to tie their shoes because of what they heard and what they saw, and they've practiced it over and over and over again. Kids are different, but a lot alike as well. Some kids that make completely this, this example of, 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 this is what you're supposed to do, son. This is what you're supposed to do, daughter. This is what you're supposed to do, granddaughter, grandson. This is what you're supposed to do. But living something else, or this is most important. God is most important. You need to know Jesus. You need to go to heaven because he's the only way uh, to, to go to heaven, what Jesus did. And yet we show them that there are other things in this life really more important than the things of God and knowing Jesus. Like, like knowing how to be a good uh, a student, knowing how to be a good, those are good things, but knowing how to be, those things are more important. Some kids may completely turn, this may completely turn them away from the Lord and the things of God because they, see, they hear one thing and they see a different thing. And so they'll resent and they'll rebel against the Lord and the body of Christ because after all, it's just a time waster for the better things that they could be living their life for. And I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've seen this happen. And our parents may be here faithful as all get out unless the kids got something going on. Or unless a birthday party comes up. Or, but they're going to tell their kids it's important. But that's what the kids learn. God's important when I want him to be important. The things of God are a priority if there's something else not higher on the priority list. Some kids may go that way or they may encounter a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ along the way. It may be differently than their parents and it may cause them to pursue Christ on a different level than their parents ever knew in the first place. They may see in Scripture and encounter the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the power of God through that and it may grip their lives and they may be sold out and they may realize in their own selves and through their pursuit of Christ that there is nothing more important than this, this life, regardless of how their parents lived. But either way, it's all by the grace of God. And let's not look for any cop-outs. Let's, let's not live as lazy spiritual examples and then pray that God will do that thing that only He can do. We have a responsibility. Are you showing your kids... Am I showing my kids, are we showing our grandkids that, that you would go to the ends of the earth 
and even sacrifice all this, the earthly blessings. But you wouldn't do it for the heavenly blessings. Do we show them that gathering with the people of God, even something like we're doing today, is negotiable, but gathering with a sports team, now that's not negotiable. Now we, we can, the things of God, you know, I know we're supposed to be sharing that, the gospel, that, that, that's negotiable, but going to a birthday party is not negotiable. We say we want a better life for our kids. But in that process, what we do is end up setting them up for a lacking faith and an empty-handed eternity. They may learn the value of a dollar in the world, but they won't learn it for eternity's sake. They may learn the value of hard work in the world, but not laboring for the king's sake. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, as I to close, I'm not going to be able to read all of this, but God gave his people the instructions with the underscoring importance of generational responsibility. God, God reminded his people, you have a responsibility to the next generation and the next generation. I've given you the commands and it's your job to live it out. Not just teach them, but live it out. In Genesis, I mean, yeah, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, only, verse 9, only take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently lest thou forget the things which your eyes have seen and they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons, your grandkids, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Oreb, when the Lord said unto thee, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. Then after much instruction, we come to chapter 6. I want to read a few verses, and it says this, Now these are the commandments of the statutes, uh, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might, look at this, do them. He gave you these things to do, whether you go to possess it. Listen, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son. It's a generational responsibility. All the days of thy life and, the, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, Israel, and observe to do it, that, that it may be well with thee. And that, they, that ye might increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that flow with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. He's the only God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently. Give yourselves wholeheartedly to teaching them to your children and not only teach them to your children, but talk about them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking in your, in your lives. When you lie down, when you rise up, thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt, they shall be a frontless between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and upon thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest you forget the Lord. Sounds a lot like what happened in America. Man, we got full. I don't know about you, but I wasn't part of crafting the, 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 the founding documents. I wasn't part of, of starting some of the amazing things that you and I are enjoying today. But we've entered into the blessings of those who went before us in this nation. 
men and women even of, of God declaring that we will not compromise in doing things this way. We will keep morality as the center. And of course, we're seeing that disintegrate before our very eyes today. But this is, this is what has gone before us. And we've done that. And, 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 and God's command to Israel was, this will happen to you. So my command is don't forget. Beware. And I think that we need to take heed to this message. Beware lest you forget the Lord, which brought you out of bondage, which brought you, brought you out of sin, which brought you out of that punishment that was going to take you to hell, out of Egypt, from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and thou shalt swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people which are around about you. Don't go after the gods that the world is going after. Don't go after the things that are important to the people in this world. Don't do that. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest he, the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. Massah yeah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and statutes which he hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good. Again, do that, not just say, do that which is right and good inside of the Lord that it may be well with thee. And thou mayest go in and possess a good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers as the musicians come. I want you to listen to the rest of what he says. To cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord has spoken. And when thy son asks thee in time to come, listen, when your kids come and inquire and they ask you, saying, what do the testimonies mean? And the statutes and the judgments what the Lord your God has commanded you. When your kids come and ask you, what is the importance of this? Why, is, why do we have these things? He says, then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen. In Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God rescued us. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. God gave us these things to do for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe all, to do all the, these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded. This morning, I hope that we realize and remember that not only does our works, our words have weight, but our work does as well. And I think this morning we really need to evaluate whether we are truly laboring for the right thing, the king. The kind of labor that has eternal value. Laboring to be rich does not have eternal value. Laboring to be liked by others does not have eternal value. Laboring to be known does not have eternal value. To be famous, no eternal value. But laboring to make him known and make him famous has eternal value. So I think that this morning we need to evaluate as adults whether we truly are passing a sincere faith, a sincere relationship that actually means something to the next generation because of what they see in our actions, what we do, and how faithful we are to it. What are you devoting yourself to labor to do? Look at your life. I've looked at mine. That's why it's easy. You know, you do it as a pastor. It's your job. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a day-to-day -day serving the Lord. The other day I prayed the same prayer. I prayed many times in my life, and many times in my life I failed in this, 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 this carrying through of this prayer. But I prayed it again and God answered it again. And the very next day I failed in it. Yesterday. This is the prayer. God, if you'll send somebody my way, give me the boldness to share the gospel with them. 
And I pray, God, even more than that, I want to I win a soul for you every single day of my life. I want my life to have eternal value. I, I want to be used up for your, regard, for your, your praise. And if you allow me to do that, I will tell everybody, it's you. It's because of you. It's because of your power. It's because of your answering a prayer. It's not because of me. It's not because of anything that I ask or anything. It's because of you. And that very next day, God gave me an opportunity. And praise God, I shared the gospel with somebody. Again, I mean, it happens, but I'm, I'm saying I'm the answer of that prayer. But then the very next day, yesterday, I didn't realize that I'd missed the opportunity until I'd left the birthday party. And my heart was broken. I was restless in the night. Didn't even, didn't even click till I woke up this morning. May we devote ourselves to laboring for the king day in and day out, showing our kids and not robbing our kids of what a sincere faith, what eternal value looks like. I don't know about you, but when, when my kids graduate from high school, I don't want them to graduate from a relationship with Christ or what they thought was a relationship. When my kids graduate from high school, I don't want them to graduate from the church that God gave his blood for, that he instituted. My kids graduate from, from high school. I want them to keep growing and thriving, right in stride, because they see mom and dad here serving, and they see mom and dad at home. It's, it's who we are. It's, what, it's we're, what we're about. It's, what we, it, it's the king of kings. It's his kingdom. It's what it's about. Let's evaluate our lives. Our works have weight. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge in this that you've given me. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, as I've already asked you to forgive me, Lord, failing in the opportunity uh, even yesterday. Lord, I, it's still my prayer, and I pray that it would be the prayer of every single one of your children here today. God, that you would give us opportunities, and I believe you do. Lord, that we would see those opportunities, that we'd capitalize, that we would have the boldness, that we'd share the gospel, that we'd labor for you, that we'd teach others to follow you. Lord, that our kids and our grandkids would see true, sincere examples before them. That they wouldn't just hear that you're important, that you're the most important person, that the church is, is, is who you've commissioned and, 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 again, the blood that you shed. Lord, that they wouldn't just hear that, but they would see that, that, that we'd live that out, that we'd be faithful to you and your kingdom. And we'd see the next generation and the next generation and the next generation be wholly devoted to the right things, eternal things. Lord, move this morning in a great way. Lord, help us respond rightly to this. In Jesus' name, amen.